You're listening to Straight from the Pulpit. Here you will find sermons taken directly from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. We preach Christ, study the Word of God, and help the Christian grow spiritually by applying God's Word to their lives. For more information or to read the pastor's blog, go to sbcverona.com. That is sbcverona.com. hymnals away, and we're going to go back to 2 John this evening. 2 John. Last week we were in 2 John as well. We were in chapter 1 of 2 John last week. Do you know what chapter we're going to be in this week, John? Ha, that's, I thought you would say that. Do you know how many chapters 2 John has? One. It actually has one chapter. So we're going to be back in 2 John chapter 1, but when it comes to books with only one chapter, we don't usually say the chapter number because there's no reason to. It's just 2 John verse number. And so 2 John is where we're going to be this evening. That's page 1141 if your Bible is exactly like mine, which it probably is not. But we are talking here, again, a broad t- topic here, broad subject of producing spiritual fruit. And the very beginning of this idea of producing spiritual fruit is dealing with the roots, being rooted in Christ, being rooted in the Word of God, and now being rooted in the truth. In this idea of being rooted in the truth, last week we looked at our relationship to the truth. And we talked about the truth as it is, that the truth is Jesus Christ, that the truth is the Word of God. The Bible says, Thy Word is truth. And we looked at that verse last week. Tonight, I want to look at our responsibility to the truth. Our responsibility to the truth. To whom much has been given, much shall be required, the Bible says. When we are given a large amount of blessings, the government expects, you know, our responsibility is to pay the government a large portion of those blessings, right? But when we are given a large amount of blessing from the Lord, He also expects us in turn to reply as our responsibility back to Him. When He gives us talents, He expects us to return those talents back to Him. He expects us to use those talents to multiply those talents, like the parable of the the businessman, the master who gave talents, and those talents would would have been money, gave money to his servants and went away on a trip and said, I expect and desire for you to take these, this money that I'm giving to you and to invest it wisely so that when I return, you'll be able to give me more than what I gave you. And then, of course, they would be rewarded. Maybe God has given you some talents, most of you, some talents. No, He has. He has given you talents and abilities, and maybe, it, maybe it's not an outward talent that is flashy that everybody gets to see. Sometimes those talents are more dangerous and less helpful than the talents that are not so sought after. Maybe your talent is being a faithful prayer warrior. And boy, I tell you what, we've talked about it many times, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but how precious and how powerful and how needed are faithful prayer warriors. Maybe you're just really good with people, at talking to people and kind of getting your foot in the door in conversations to be able to share the gospel with people. You know, to to people like that, I'm envious because that's not me. I am not a good conversationalist. I'm not real, it's not easy. It doesn't come natural to me 
to have conversations with people, especially people I don't know, <laughs> and to just make them like me. Um, I'm not good at that sort of thing, but I know people are, and to them, it's like, well, duh, you just do this, you know, you just talk to them. Like, well, it's not so easy for all of us. That's a talent. Use that talent for the Lord. You could use it for business sake, yeah, but use that talent also for the Lord. To some people, the talent might be uh, that you're an encourager, uh, that you are somebody who is going to be there to have your arm around them, that you're going to be there to whisper or speak or text or call you know, or email words of encouragement, to check up on them and to be there to keep prodding them forward to faithfulness. Now, I don't know what talents God has given to you, but He has. And you have a responsibility then to use those for God's honor. That doesn't mean that we always do, does it? Sometimes we use them for our glory. And so you get all those TikTok videos and Instagram videos of these uh, teeny boppers standing there videoing themselves dancing and singing some ridiculous song that's meaningless. And they get you know, so many thousands of likes and shares. And to them, that's, that's the whole world to them. It's so amazing that that many people saw them or heard them sing. But what value does it actually have beyond the 15 minutes of fame that they got from that one single video? Very little. But when we take those talents, like singing, and we take those talents and we use them for the glory of God by singing praises to Him, but also singing a a, a solid message to the hurting, to the unbeliever, we are taking those talents and using them responsibly. But we have also the truth. Israel was given truth, but they did not responsibly use truth. They were given light, but they did not responsibly use the light, and so it was removed from them. Many churches have been, had their candles withdrawn, their light withdrawn, because they did not responsibly use the light that was given to them. You have been given truth. What will you do with the truth that was given to you? The most important knowledge of life is knowing Christ. Think about that. The most important knowledge of life is knowing Christ. It's good to know electronics. It's it's good to know information about animals. It's good to know information about all sorts of things. And I like to, to study and learn information about things, but the most important knowledge of life is knowing Jesus Christ. But that brings on responsibility. Number one here this evening, we need to walk. Our responsibility, the truth, is that we need to walk in the truth. You're in 2 John. Let's go back to verse number one and read here uh, to remind yourselves of where we are. 2 John, verse number one. The elder, that's John, unto the elect lady. We aren't given her name. Uh, We're assuming this is a real person uh, who probably is hosting the house there in her church, or the church in her house, I mean. Um, and he's writing her to hear about this for a reason. He went out of his way, even for a short little letter like this. He had something so important to tell her, he wanted to make sure he got it down on paper. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwell in us, dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever, grace be with you in mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Verse 4. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. He says, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking 
in the truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Walking in the truth, just as every parent finds great joy in watching and seeing their children walk in truth and make godly decisions, so God watches us, His children, and desires to see that same truth. They walked in the truth, it says. The children, not only did they believe the truth, but they walked in that truth. They put it into action. This was undoubtedly a result of learning the truths of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. They learned it. They rehearsed those truths. And then they took those truths and they applied them. To walk in the truth implies more than just a Sunday morning relationship. The truth is not something that we put on the shelf. It's not like the Bible that we stick underneath our driver's seat or stick up on the dashboard or leave remaining on the pew for the rest of the week. Our relationship to the truth, walking in the truth, I should say our responsibility to the truth, walking in the truth, it's something that we are to become rooted and grounded in. It is something that becomes a part of us all the time. We will not walk in the truth if we hear the truth on Sunday only to live outside that truth the rest of the week. Those who walk in the truth, they hear the message on Sunday, but they go beyond that. And they walk in that truth Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, throughout the week. They apply daily what God teaches them. They share with others what God has taught them. They desire to continue operating in the truth. It's purposeful. It's from a sincere heart. How do we walk in the truth? Number one, walking in the truth, we need to, well, read the Word of God. And you say, oh, you're preaching to the choir here, brother. Read the Word of God. It's not, it, it, it gets to be cliche, unfortunately. A saying that we hear at church all the time, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible and pray, read the Bible and pray. And we say, yep, amen, you're supposed to do that. But then in action, we don't put it into practice. We don't walk in it on a daily basis. With our mouths, we say amen, but with our hearts... We would much rather look at some other things, watch other things, hear other things, allow the, 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 the influence of the world to gain our attentions. Deuteronomy 17, 18, and 19 says this, And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. This was instruction here to the kings of Israel to make God's word central in their lives, to sit down and to copy it. When you sit down and you copy something, boy, it becomes more intimate to you because you've had to sit there and read the words. And some of us, when we write things down, we talk and we say them out loud too, right? As we read it, we... Say it out loud, and then we, we go over and write the sentence. And then we read the next sentence, saying it out loud, and then we go and we write down the next sentence. Not all of us do that. But you read it. You have to absorb it to a certain extent to remember it. And then your hands go through the process of writing out each letter and each word and then checking to make sure that you've done it correctly. It becomes more intimate to you. When you take the time to sit there and write down each word, the kings were instructed to do that. Why? Because it was through this reading and through this writing that they were going to learn to keep God's law and to do what He said. 
Because they couldn't do that without understanding what the truth is and then walking in the truth. Of course, in the day and age in which we live right now, everybody's busy. We have to run to this and we have to run to that. There's social obligations, work, church, sports, commuting, seminars, classes, and countless other things that are just constantly taking up our time. We get to fit most of them into our schedules, right? But not everything. And as has been said before, we will fit the things we want to do into our schedules. The things that we find the most important or the most value out of, we will make sure to fit those things into our schedules. But what about reading the Word of God? What keeps us from including Bible reading in our busy schedules? Is it a lack of time that keeps us from including it in our schedules? No. It's not a lack of time that keeps us from going to church or from reading our Bibles or from praying and spending time before the face of God. It is not a lack of time, but instead, it is a lack of heart. Robert Chapman, a preacher from the 1800s, he made this statement. The great cause of neglecting the Scriptures is not want of time, but want of heart. Some idol taking the place of Christ. I want you to imagine for me here a college student, and it makes me go back to my college days. And I remember thinking, back in college, this was the beginning of cell phones. I didn't yet have a cell phone. Uh, it wasn't until my senior year of college that I got my first cell phone, and it was one of those flip phones. I think it was purple. <laughs> it was whatever my dad got me. Uh, and that was my first one, my senior year, um, and I kind of needed one at that point in time. And, so I ended up there with my very first cell phone. I mean, I was proud of that thing. Um, we were allowed to have cell phones. That was the very first year we were allowed to even have them at college. And we had to keep them in our dorm rooms or when we went off campus, but we couldn't take them to classes with us or carry them around campus or anything like that. Of course, it's very different today uh, about what you can do. We didn't have access to the internet except for through, like the school would uh, allow certain websites and so they would control what websites you know the students were allowed to access and every website had to be um, uh, given permission individually which was annoying when I was a college student but I also understood but imagine this college student coming back from a long day of work and school and you know when you have schooling you have multiple classes and then you also have to work to be able to pay for you know your schooling and he comes home he's tired he's dirty he drops down into his bed at least that's what he wants to do, right? But what would we often do? After school, after work, we'd eat dinner, we'd be tired, we'd be ready to go back. And so I would, uh, often I would make a trip through the administration building. Um, and I would go there. Why? Well, because that's where the mailboxes were. And I wanted to see if there was anything in those mailboxes for me. I shared a mailbox with, I don't know how many, a couple other students probably. It was just a little box about that big. And it had a a uh, little combination lock on it. It was box 1230, I remember. And so I would open it and then check in there to see if I had any mail. Sometimes there would be a, a little green or orange slip inside there. And that meant you had a package, that somebody mailed you a package. Oh, this is great. Somebody mailed me a package. What is it? And I would take that slip and I would go during the mail hours when the mail room was open and I would hand them my package. They would take it and they would go get my box because my box couldn't fit inside the inside the mailbox, and they would come and bring it to me. And boy, sometimes it was, you know, maybe from my girlfriend or from my mom and dad or from somebody in my church or who knows, maybe it was nothing exciting at all, uh, but often I didn't know what it was. And boy, I got this package. It was so exciting. Didn't matter how tired I was, I would go and make sure to get that package. 
because there might be snacks in that package and there might be cash inside that package too, which was also vitally important, right? Many of those college students, no matter how tired, no matter how much work they had to do, before they go flop down on their bed, they would go check their mail and see if they had a letter from their girlfriend. Or they would go and make that phone call. And I remember my, my, one of my college roommates calling and talking to his girlfriend. And the phones, you know, were wired phones, not like wireless today. And uh, he would get, take the phone and he would get on the phone with her and then he would go and lay in the closet behind all the clothes. So you walked in, and, uh, well, he's, he's on the phone with his girlfriend, it's going to be a while. You had to duck underneath the wire or step over top the wire, depending on where he was. And we knew he was going to be there for a long time. And he was a nursing student. He had a lot going on, let me tell you. But he had time for that, didn't he? Because it was special. They get that letter and they, they pull that letter out and they open it very carefully. They don't want to tear anything, right? They don't want to break any of it. and They smell it, right? Because sometimes the girls would put perfume on those letters or they would seal it with a kiss, right? That's what I learned when I was in high school what S-W-A-K means, swalk, you know, sealed it with a kiss, whatever. Don't, don't throw up on me now. But uh, you take that letter and you open it and you're so careful with it and you keep it. And I have all of the cards and letters still that my wife sent to me while we were dating and while we were engaged. And you would want to know what it said. And did you usually just read it once? No, you read it multiple times. You wanted to know everything it said and you smelled it. Don't laugh at that. It probably had perfume on it. She wanted you to smell her perfume when you were reading her letter. It was super important to you. Do we read our love letter from God with that same desire? Do we love Him? When you open up the Word of God, it's not just the, the sweet-smelling savor of perfume. Along with it comes the wood smoke of saints being burned at the stake. The shed blood of countless millions of Christians who died for their faith, or for the Word of God. When we open up the Word of God, it not only comes with that, but it comes with the love of the Father and the sacrificial love of the Son. And that letter that we hold in our laps tonight, we call it the Bible, the Word of God, that we have the same love for it that we have for those very special words, that last letter our parents sent to us, maybe. We are to read the Word of God. And like you read that letter over and over again, and like maybe you pull it out every now and then and read it again, and remember that one time when he used to be sweet to you, you know, ages and ages ago, right? We ought to read the Word of God over and over and over again. Number two, study the Word of God. Like 2 Timothy 2.15 reminds us to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study here very clearly applies to the word of God when we see at the end of the verse, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you have something that you have designated for studying the Bible? Maybe it's a notebook or something that you keep with your Bible that when you study it or when you're sitting in preaching, that anytime a good thought comes along, you write it down. And I do this. I use my phone for all that kind of stuff. Now, I, I have notes and I have so many notes in my phone where I'll be listening to preaching and I'll think, oh, that was really good. I want to keep that phrase and use that, you know, one day. Or I'll oh, hear a good outline. Oh, I want to keep that outline. I want to use that someday. Or, 
I'll, you know, I'll hear a good thought from a passage, and I'm like, okay, I want to build on that one day, or I want to use that in this, or I want to just remember that because it was good. And then sometimes it's because you have questions. Oh, he said that? He said that passage? That's, that's a little, I haven't thought about that before. I wonder if that's right. Well, let me write it down. I'm going to go and I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go and learn about it. Or you might be in your Bible reading and you just don't understand. Okay, verses 12 through 14, right over my head, didn't get it. Um, so I'm going to write down chapter 12, verses you know, 12 through 14 here. And I'm going uh, to go spend some more time studying this. Or I'm going to go and you know, seek a, another you know, godly person's opinion on this passage. But do you have somewhere that you write these things down? If you don't, then like me, oftentimes I'll think, well, I want to remember that, but I don't have any way to remember that. Have a notebook, write it down, look it up in a concordance or a dictionary. Ask a, a Bible teacher or pastor for help, but study the Word of God. Study goes beyond just a perusing of the words, just seeing them, reading them and hearing them, but it's also trying to understand and digest them, to take them apart for what they are and to get every nutrient from that, from those words that you can. We also ought to memorize the Word of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God, that I might not sin against thee, is what it says in Psalm 119. We think of that word, thy word have I hid in mine heart. You know, the word of God keeps us from sin. Like that song um, Eric sang a couple times, this blessed old book. You know, uh, the word of God will keep us from sin, but sin will also keep us from the word of God. Works both ways. Start out slowly and simply. Choose a, a good verse, a simple verse that will help you learn that'll help you keep focused on your Christian life, something that maybe you're struggling in an area, and so you learn a verse for that particular area to use. Write it down on 3 by 5 card. Put it in your pocket. Carry it around in your purse, if you're a lady, that is. And, you know, every time you see it, sometimes you can bring it with you places. Set it down on the dinner table. Set it down on the pew beside you. Set it down on the sink while you brush your teeth. Set it on your desk. And you have those verses with you. When I was in Bible college, we had there's a couple classes where they made us make these key rings full of, um, you know, cards. And usually, like my, my Greek teacher, he made us carry them around in a little key ring, and then you cut a um, three-by-five card into four pieces, equal pieces, and then you would write a Greek word on one side and its definition or meaning on the other side. And as you go throughout the year, you add more and more to it, so you have your Greek vocabulary. And if he caught us walking around campus with those not in our hands, we, he, we would have to answer for it. You know, he'd be upset with us uh, if you were in his Greek class. The same thing with memory verses. It was a good idea because, you know, in a Bible college, you had a lot of memory verses to memorize for different classes. And to keep them straight, it was helpful to write them all down and to have them right there with you so you could memorize those verses. But make an effort to memorize the Word of God. That's hiding the Word of God in your heart. Why? So that it can keep you from sin. You need to pray for an understanding of the Word of God. Also in Psalm 119, it says this, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The prayer to open my eyes that I may see. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of thy law. So that when you open up the Bible to read, you know, even the psalmist, he didn't understand all of Scripture. Even your pastor doesn't understand all of Scripture. I can get together with a group of pastors and talk about the book of Revelation, and we all walk away scratching our heads. Because we can make guesses, and we can try to draw comparisons, but we can't definitively say a lot of things about the book of Revelation. 
There's a lot of things about Scripture that are difficult to understand sometimes. But we can pray that the Lord will enlighten us, like it says in 1 Corinthians 2.10, but God hath revealed revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. It is part of the job of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. He is the illuminator, a teacher of God's Word. It's His nature to teach God's Word to us. So before you open up your Bible and begin to read, pray, one, that God would speak to you that day, and two, that that the Holy Spirit would illuminate His words to you and help you to understand them. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. It was the job of the Holy Spirit to teach the Christian. The job of the Holy Spirit to bring back to their remembrance teachings from the words of God. It's his job to also bring those things back to your remembrance as you need them. We need to memorize the Word of God. We need to read the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. We need to pray for an understanding of the Word of God. And one important thing that we most often neglect to do is we need to apply the Word of God. Also in Psalm 119, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Think about this. Young men, we're prone to passions, aren't we? Not that young ladies don't have issues in those areas either, but young men, we're prone to anger. We get up and all angry. We want to fight, man. We're prone to lust. It's, it's kind of part of the physical nature that we have. And just because it's part of our nature doesn't make it right, though. My nature tells me to lie, to self-preserve and protect myself. My nature tells me to get angry and fight people when they make fun of my mama. You know, my, my you know, nature tells me to do all sorts of things that are not right to do. And so I have to learn to control that old nature. In fact, I'm going to put the old man away altogether and have this new nature because I become a new creature when I become a Christian. Wherewithal does the young man cleanse his way? It's a hard job for a young man to cleanse his way. Because he's got a lot of things, a lot of desires within him that are difficult. Where, how, so how does he go about becoming pure? How does he go about becoming obedient to the word of... Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. How does he go about becoming, well, cleansed? It says this, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Notice it's not just listening to the Bible, young men. How do you cleanse your way? Not just by listening to the Bible. It's by heeding the Bible. You know what the difference is? The difference is this. Mom is, you know, in another room and she says, son, I need you to come here. You heard her. You heard every word she said. You knew exactly what she meant. Now you have a decision to make. You listened to mom. You heard her. But is that the same thing as heeding mom or obeying mom? Well, the obvious answer to that question is no. That's not the same thing. A few, maybe 10, 20 seconds later, son, I told you to come here. I know, I know, coming. Oh, you might know and you might have heard me, but you weren't obeying me. Because like we say in our house, if it's not immediate, it's not obedient. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed, by obeying the Word of God. To obey something means that you have to hear it or read it. You have to understand it. You have to know how to take that truth and apply it to your life and then obey it. 
The Holy Spirit does, well, let me go back up. You do some of that. You need to read it and you need to hear it. You need to be putting yourself under the preaching and teaching of the Bible by being in church, by doing your devotions, by hearing preaching at other times that you have opportunities to as well. You need to put yourself in that place. But then you also need to be willing to take it in. And you need to have the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a Christian, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and He illuminates. He shows you this is how you can take it and how you need to obey it. Here's how you need to obey that that truth that the pastor was preaching today. And then you have to make the determination to obey. Like we are told, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Our first responsibility to the truth here was to personally walk in the truth. To do that, we have to read it, study it, memorize it, pray for the Holy Spirit to give understanding, and then apply it to our lives. But we also have another obligation, and that is to share the Word of God with others. Look at verse number 5. You're in 2 John, verse number 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it, or walk, as some of you all say. As Christians, we're responsible to be witnesses to the truth. And this is done through our love to one another. In John 13, 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, and that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love to one another. Christ's love is is rooted in truth, and it can be seen through our actions. Christ's love can be seen when there's harmony between husband and wife. When we help someone going through a hard time, when we forgive somebody who hurt us or pulled out in front of us out of the church parking lot or opened their car door up into us, when we choose to forgive them, when we forgive a teacher who mistreats a child, when we invite a new person uh, that's at church you know, over to our home, we can show the love of God through our actions, and that's how we're supposed to do it. If we preach simply through our words, then we just are showing that we're not motivated by the Word of God. We're not to just preach through our words, but we are to also witness the truth through our love and through our actions. You know, love that is founded in truth is not that kind of emotional love that the world understands. And then when the emotion is gone, that means the love must be gone. No, love that is founded in truth is a determination, a decision. It's strong and it's enduring. In truth, its love always stems from obedience to Christ. We need to witness. That's part of our responsibility to the truth. You've been given truth. You've had your eyes opened to Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has to offer to a lost and sinful world, a dying world, a world headed to destruction. You've been given that truth. Your eyes have been enlightened. And now it is your responsibility to take that truth 
And as I've, I've used the, the, the analogy before, to reflect it back out to others around us. It is our responsibility to the truth to witness, to bear the truth to others. And sometimes it can take the form of, of bearing the truth to friends and family. Sometimes it can take the, the form of bearing the truth to people that we don't know. Sometimes it can take the form of bearing the truth in a, in a platform, whether it be a physical platform like this or an online platform. But we need to be responsible to the truth that we have been given, not to hide it under a bushel, but to take that light which is useful for the illuminating that gives truth and to share it with others. We need to witness. And we need to warn. Look at verse number 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. That term deceivers there in verse number 7 is the word planos, meaning misleading, leading into error, a vagabond, a tramp, an imposter, a corrupter. And God warns us that there are going to be many of these false teachers and deceivers. And no doubt, as we've been studying church history on Sunday school, we've been seeing many deceivers. We've been seeing many people leading away from the truth, and that is going to continue. No doubt even today you could name famous TV preachers or radio preachers that have erred from the truth and are taking countless souls with them on their way to hell. It's discouraging to talk to somebody who has been doing nothing but feeding off of the TV preachers. And they think that that is the be-all, end-all of preaching, of Bible study and learning. They think that that's the truth. But you know what those TV preachers are doing to those people? They are making them reliant upon the preacher. You have to hear what I have to say in order to understand the truth. You have to hear what I have to say in order to obtain eternal life. You have to hang off my every word. You need to know. And they become reliant upon that TV preacher. What good preaching does is teaches you how to go to the Word of God yourself and to rightly divide the Word of truth so that you don't become reliant upon me, not that I want to put myself out of a job, but that you become reliant upon the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. That's what's supposed to be happening. Deceivers, many of them have large followings, whether it be television, radio, internet. They challenge, distort, deny the truth. They themselves may very well even be deceived. But if you're not careful of false teachers then those roots of truth that are in you will decay and be destroyed. I read a story about an uh, Olympic runner named Kip Leggett. He was from Kenya. He was running in the 2000 uh, Sydney Olympics, and he was asked uh, by an interview how his country was able to produce so many great runners. And uh, that question was asked often, how come the Kenyans are always have so many great runners? You go to run a race, even, you know, I remember my brother-in-law, he likes to race and run in races, and he'd show up and he'd see some Kenyans show up. And he's like, well, that's it. I don't stand a chance. <laughs> because they were just going to, they were going to fly out and there was no, going to be no way to catch up with them. Well, he was asked by this interviewer how uh, Kenya was able to produce so many great runners. And he stopped and he thought about it. Why, you know, what would motivate them to be so good at running? And he said this, it's the road signs. 
Beware of lions. Give Harold a second for that to sink in. Why were they such great runners? Because if you go running through the African countryside, you might have something chasing you. <laughs> so you got to learn to be fast because it might be a hyena or it might be a lion or a leopard. You never know what's going to be chasing you. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us to be sober. Be vigilant. You know, understand the real dangers that exist. Keep your head looking for those dangers that exist. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy... The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, Saturday morning, you know, we all woke up and her started to hear news about Israel's, uh, the attack on Israel. And they, they did it, obviously, on a Sabbath morning because many very religious Jews removed themselves from all technology and phones and those things during the Sabbath. And so it wouldn't be until that evening where they would finally be able to get back on their phones again and be connected to the outside world. But they would all be sleeping. They would all be resting. This is a holiday for them. It was, it was beyond. It wasn't just any Sabbath. It was a holiday too for them. The terrorists went into an, an Israeli military base and killed many of the soldiers even in their beds. And I thought to myself, how is it possible that those soldiers were caught that unaware? that they were still in their beds. They weren't watching for the enemy. It had been years really since anybody had tried to do anything. Why would this morning of any morning be the morning that the enemy is going to come through the fences and going to come after us? But it was. We have to also not allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep because we have an enemy, an adversary, who is waiting just over the rise where we can't see him. Just in the bush where we're unaware of his presence and he's watching and waiting for us to be in a weak moment. In a moment where we're unaware. In a moment where we're not watching to attack and we will fall before we ever know what's happened. Be sober means be aware of the danger around you. Be vigilant means being watchful for the danger around you because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Even back in the first century, there were deceivers. And they taught that Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, that he wasn't the Son of God. Even today, we have many teaching that. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus Christ is not the eternal God, that He was less than the Father, that He is not an equal part of the Trinity. The Mormons, they teach that Jesus Christ was a man who became a God and that you too can become a God, they teach. The Muslims deny that God ever had any son at all and that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, but that He was just a prophet like Muhammad. And many other religions and sects and cults, Christian cults, deny the deity of Christ. And just like it was back in the first century, so it is the exact same today. Many deny Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And the problem is that today we are so far removed from the truth that many people believe that all religions are basically the same. That all roads lead to heaven. And so long as you're sincere, then it's enough. But you need to be more than sincere. You need to be right. You need to be following the truth. And you need to be obedient. Christ's deity is, is vital for us to understand. 
But yet there are still many who deny Christ's deity and still claim they believe in God and they still call themselves Christians. God calls this deception. There are some central questions that we need to ask to help to discern somebody's position as it relates to the truth. One of those questions is, who do you believe Jesus Christ is? And listen to their answer very carefully. They may refer to him as the Son of God, but what do they mean by he's the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God? Oh, eternality, that's the hallmark of God. Mm, Jesus can't be eternal because he's just a man, right? Well, that's what they may say. Do you believe he is the eternal Son of God who came to this earth, was born of a virgin, took on the form of a man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins, and rose again the third day as the Son of God? And right then and there, you would eliminate almost all of the TV preachers. Right then and there, you would eliminate almost all of the cults. And even many of the Protestant faiths, if you were to ask it like that. And the answer to these questions will prove truth or deception if you're desiring to listen to somebody. Now, you can even find an independent Baptist pastor that will agree to these things and listen to them on YouTube, but there'll be some pretty... Um, serious errors in his preaching, and so you also need to pay attention to other teaching as well. But if the answer is no, I don't believe that about Jesus Christ, then that person is a false teacher, and do you know what that makes them? That makes them an anti-Christ. According to the Scriptures, it makes them an anti-Christ. Not the anti-Christ, but an anti-Christ. You say, but they take the name of Christian. Yes, it's quite possible. It's quite possible that a Christian or somebody that takes the title of Christian can be an antichrist. Just like it's quite possible that the antichrist can come from a Christian background. It's quite possible that the person who is going to be the antichrist may come as a great surprise to many people. And I'm not saying I know who it is because I don't, but it shouldn't surprise us. 1 John 2.23 says this, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. If you deny Jesus Christ and who He is, then you don't know God, nor do you love Him, and nor are you following Him. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. And so John is writing to this lady here, this special elect lady who is given hospitality. Maybe she wasn't always quite so discerning. Maybe they were allowing false teachers to come in and teach there in the church. And so John thought it was vitally important to write this little letter to her that would get there maybe weeks, maybe months before he arrived to speak with her about this. But he thought it was so important that he sent this letter to warn her about false teachers. Galatians 3, 1 through 3, Paul writes this to the church of Galatia. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So the Galatians had started out well. They had believed the truth that salvation was by faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and not by obeying the law, 
but they had foolishly been led back to trying to keep the rules in order to keep their salvation. And Paul warned them that they were being deceived. Maybe you could use this verse next time somebody tries to tell you, no, you can lose your salvation. You can lose your salvation, they'll tell you. And if you're not careful, you're going to, you know, cross some imaginary line that God does not tell us of when I've finally been bad enough that I lose my salvation. I even have family members that believe this. Then who in the world, what is he talking about in Galatians 3? He's talking about them being taught that you can lose your salvation. That you began in the Spirit, and now you've got to continue it in the flesh, which is an impossibility. It's an impossible thing to be good enough to keep salvation you were never good enough to earn in the first place. So he warns them about turning from the truth to being deceived. In our responsibility to the truth, we are to warn. We are to warn other people, even friends who we might see heading down a path towards doctrinal impurity. Or they may already exist in this this pathway of doctrinal impurity. And we're, we're worried about their salvation, even though they may be religious. May it be up to us to lovingly and tearfully and cautiously warn them about the truth. It is our duty to warn. It is our responsibility to witness And it is our responsibility to walk in the truth. We have been given this truth, not just so that we can sit comfortably and safely upon our couches with our truth. We can go and take our truth and stick it away in a safe somewhere and lock it up for the day we enter into eternity, then it'll be there. We have been given the truth to use it, not to hide it away. We have been given the truth to walk in it, and to witness it, and to warn against any deception of the truth. So Christian, you have a responsibility this evening. You say, oh great, here he goes. You have a responsibility to the truth. First, you need to walk in it. You need to be a witness and a testimony to others. You are responsible to do that. And you are responsible to warn Others. When you see others heading down a pathway that's, uh, that's deceptive, it is your responsibility to, in the best way you can, pray about it, do it with great fear and trepidation, but warn them about the path that they're heading down. You've been listening to Straight from the Pulpit podcast from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. Be sure to follow this podcast and share this sermon with a friend. And if you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. See you next time.